let's launch off on this. Have the faith of God. God offers you and I an instruction book. He tells us all about how to walk and live by the faith of God. The same faith that he used to create all things, he's given us a measure of that so that we can lay hold through faith what he has so graciously given us by his grace. All these blessings that God has given us, they are yours. And how you lay hold of all of them and bring them into this material realm is through faith. So the key to walking in the Zoe life of God and walking out God's plan for your life is you must walk by faith. So the last couple weeks, we've been talking a little bit about what faith is. So I just want to kind of just real briefly just go through some of these definitions of that we've gone through. And I want to encourage you to go back because this is a, a real precept upon precept series that will teach you so that you can learn and then, then make disciples with this. Make this your own and teach other Christians how to walk by faith. So we said this, faith is the condition that comes as a result of you and I believing God's word. Faith is the condition that results in when you believe God's word, faith is there. It comes, it's there, it's birthed. In other words, we said this, believing begins, or, or I'm sorry, believing is the beginning of faith. Okay, what I mean by that is believing is the act whereby we extend our faith towards God and faith is that resulting condition. You must choose to believe, right? Part of that Deuteronomy 30, 19, where God said, listen, I'm setting before you life and death, blessing and cursing, so choose life. Choosing to believe God's word is choosing life. And when you choose to believe it, now that's the act. You step towards something where now you extended your faith towards God and the faith of God is the resulting condition in your life. So now you're walking by faith. It's the beginning. You must choose whether or not you're going to believe God's word. Do you really believe that he'll always cause you to triumph? That he always gives you the victory in Christ? Do you really believe that all the promises of God are in Christ? Yes, and in Christ, amen. A lot of Christians don't believe that. They believe this. Well, you know, sometimes God says yes, and sometimes God says no. Right? We've heard that from pulpits, but guess what you don't hear afterwards? You don't hear a scripture. You know why? Because there isn't one. But if you want to go to the word of God and say, is there a scripture that says all the promises are yes in Christ and amen in Christ, oh, it's there. Do you really believe that every good and every perfect, that means a complete gift, is from above? It's from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variableness. That means that what he's done for one, he will do for all. And there's no shadow of turning. He's the God that does not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do you believe that he has a good plan for your life? Do you believe that he could restore, that his mercy is greater than your disobedience? That he can bring restoration to every arena of your life? See, you got to choose to believe that. And as you extend that faith, towards God, now you're in faith. You're operating in the faith of God and you could reach out and grab hold of that promise and bring it into your life. That's what we're talking about. We said this, faith is literally the lifestyle of the righteous, right? 
I could say the lifestyle of a Christian, the lifestyle of someone who's been born again, the lifestyle of a believer, or I could say the lifestyle of the righteous. Because we as believers, as children of God, have been made righteous, right? Jesus was made to bear all our sin so that we could be made the very righteousness of Almighty God. And faith is the lifestyle of the righteous. In other words, if faith, if you're the righteous and faith is not your lifestyle, then now you've just answered the question why you're kind of living in turmoil because you're like a fish trying to live out of water. You are not made to walk by sight. You got to push down all this spiritual stuff that the Holy Spirit's trying to get over to you and you got to force your eyes to look at natural things all the time. You're not made that way. In other words, you are made to walk and live by faith. Isn't that good news? Here's another thing about the faith of God. Faith is a choice. You have to choose it. Doesn't happen automatically. And here's a big thing. Faith is the sole ingredient to please God. The book of Hebrews tells us without faith, it is impossible to please him. Why is that? Because he who comes to God must believe that he is, must believe that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. You got to believe when you're reaching up, he's reaching down. When you're drawing near, he's drawing near. Right? Every time, all the time. Faith also is the only means by which you receive from God. Now, you'll have to go back and listen to go through all those scriptures. We don't have time to go through them. In the book of James, it says, without faith, it's impossible to receive anything from God. Faith also, we said this, never wavers. If you are wavering, you're not in faith. Tonight, we're going to talk about great faith. We're going to start talking about great faith. The New Testament talks about no faith, little faith, and great faith. What's interesting is the, the little faith. Peter walking on the water. Peter says, Lord, if that's you, bid me to come to you. Jesus goes, come. Peter gets out of the boat and literally walks on liquid water until he starts seeing the wind. All of a sudden, the wind comes up. He starts seeing waves. Some water splashes in his face. He gets his eyes off Jesus, and he gets his eyes on natural things, and he begins to sink. That's supernatural to walk on water. It's supernatural to begin to sink. Try that. Go to a pool and jump in and begin to sink. I mean, beginning to sink's like this. If this is the water, you start going down little by little. No, you just go bam, right? Every time. Right? Could you imagine baptizing somebody and they begin to sink? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Right? Because they're beginning to sink, right? No, 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 no. No, faith, faith, faith is the lifestyle. Faith never wavers. Isn't that good news? Wow. Little faith. What does that mean? In this situation, Jesus pulls him up. He cries out to Jesus. He pulls him up and he says, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Right? Little faith, and literally in the Greek language, it'll say little. If you dig into that word a little bit, it literally means a short burst of faith, right? He obviously had a burst of faith. He, he got in faith, and he stepped out on the water, and he was okay until he started looking at natural things. And then, see, little faith gets no results. Jesus had to pick him up. Now, he got back in faith, obviously, because he walked back to the boat, right? It's interesting. There's other scriptures that says, of no faith. And sometimes it uses the same Greek word. 
What I want you to see there is let's forget about the no faith and the little faith thing. You don't want to short burst the faith, do you? That's not going to get you healed. That's not going to get your finances taken care of, right? No, no, we want great faith, and we'll talk about that tonight. Faith, in other words, is a settled condition. When you're in faith, you're settled. What do I mean? It's a settled condition that comes as a result of believing God's word, believing that it's already done, it's already been provided for me by God. Do you know that most believers never hear this? They don't realize that everything, God did everything already. It's not a matter of him doing something. It's a matter of you receiving through faith what he's already given you by his grace. And he will help you do that. We said this, faith is a spiritual law. It's a spiritual principle. Romans chapter 3 and verse 27, we went through this scripture. Romans 3.27 says, says, where is boasting then? It is excluded by what law? Of works? No, but by the law or the principle of faith. A law works the same way for everybody. The law of gravity would work for the same for you. I don't care what level of education you have, the law of gravity works the same for everybody who will work it, right? Faith, in other words, operates according to the spirit realm. We said this, faith is the medium of exchange in the kingdom of God. In the same way, money is the medium of exchange in the world system. I mean, Pastor Dave, so graciously as he was receiving the offering today, talked about how that the Bible says so much about money. Why is that? Because the God of heaven is really, really concerned about the way you live. He wants you to make sure that, hey, money is going to affect every area of your life, and he doesn't ever want you to know, he doesn't ever want you to know lack and poverty. Jesus was made poor on the cross, the Bible says, so that we, through his poverty, well, pastor, that's spiritual poverty. Is it? Because it's not. The Greek word is financial. He was made poor on the cross so that we, through his poverty, might be made rich. What does rich mean? A full and overflowing supply. Galatians 3 says we've been redeemed from the curse of the law. Go back and read Deuteronomy 28. The curse was poverty and lack. That was part of it. It was sickness, disease, and pain. It was spiritual death, right? We've been redeemed from that. So we said this, faith operates according to the spirit realm. Unbelief operates according to the natural realm. What you can see and what you can feel. And here we are, as born-again, spirit-filled Christians who have been given a measure of the faith of God, just start looking at natural things and you will be walking in unbelief in a very short period of time. Right? You'll, you'll look at something and go, yep, there's no way that what I need to happen could happen. I'm in trouble. But you look, at, you look at things you can't see, the word of God, which says he'll open a door no man can shut. He'll shut a door no man can open. Right? He'll make a way where there is no way. So here's another thing about faith that we said. Well, we said a lot about faith, haven't we? Faith has nothing to do with feelings or emotions. You could be in great faith and it has nothing to do with feeling like you're in great faith. You can feel like you're not in faith. Who cares? Right? What are you looking at? Faith has nothing to do with feelings or emotions. Remember how I used the example of if I went to buy perfume for my wife. And I'm like, hey, can I look at that Chanel number five? And the lady hands me the little sample, and I held it up to my ear. And I'm like, hmm. She'd be looking at me like, what in the world is wrong with this guy? Hello. Right? Because why? My ear cannot perceive perfume. Amen. In the same way that your feelings and emotions cannot perceive faith. Okay? 
we said this, faith does not deny or ignore the circumstances or the symptoms. Doesn't ignore them, doesn't deny them. What faith does is faith acknowledges that there's a higher power. There's a higher authority. What is that? God, his word, that is greater than what I see and that the, God's word is more powerful and has greater authority and will change the circumstance and the situ situation. So in other words, faith never denies the symptoms. It denies the right of the symptoms to stay. It never denies a circumstance. It denies the right of that circumstance, which is contrary to the God's word, to remain. Okay, that's what faith does. Bible faith, we said this, is based on believing God's word. Where? In your heart and confessing God's word out of your mouth. The word of God needs to be in two places. In your heart. What do you mean heart? I bet you guess what that Greek word is. Cardia. Right? G. 2588, right? I think you guys learned that one, right? It's talking about your mind. But but really, you gotta, you gotta, it's it's in two places. And when I say two places, cardia, the why do we say mind there? Well, it's in your spirit. Your spirit and your mind, which is part of your soul, is connected. So the word of God, revelation comes to you in your spirit, man. From the Holy Spirit to your spirit. Right now, the Holy Spirit will be down on the inside of you, teaching you the Word of God. When you meditate in the Word, when you read the Word, when you hear the Word, the Holy Spirit is teaching your spirit. And when He is able to open up the Word of God to your spirit, light comes, understanding comes, right? What does your spirit man do? Your spirit man takes that revelation knowledge and it changes it into a thought. And it's like the light of God hitting your mind. Revelation knowledge. So it has to be there in your heart and your mind, and it has to be coming out of your mouth. That's the way faith operates. Right? He Remember last week we went into Hebrews 11.1. 1. We spent a lot of time in Hebrews 11.1. 1. And we said this is the literal meaning of Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the substance, is the confidence, is the realization, is the ground of things that I'm expecting. Faith is the proof. It is the title deed that I have what I can't currently perceive with my senses, that I already have it. I can't perceive it but I know I have it. I reached into the unseen realm and I grabbed the blessing of God and now faith is going to give substance to that. It's going to bring it in this realm to me. Faith. We said this. Faith deals with things not seen and also things not yet. If you can see it, it's not faith. You have it. Right? Remember Romans 4, 17? Faith calls those things which are as though they're not. Uh-uh. Pastor Elise is like, oh, no, 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 no. What does faith do? It calls those things that be not as though they were. So faith doesn't walk around saying, I'm not sick. Faith walks around saying, he sent his word and healed me, so by his stripes I'm healed. Right? Does that make sense? That's the language of God. So, in other words, to live by faith, we must look at the unseen truths of God's word, not at things that we see. Now, as I'm going through all this, we're going... You mean to tell me we went through all that stuff in the last two weeks? Yeah. That's not even the other six weeks. 
faith. To live by faith, we must look at the unseen truths of God's word. So then, real faith, okay, real faith in God simply says about oneself and about one's circumstances what God's word says, right? That's what faith says. Faith is built upon the word of God. So let's look at a couple examples of great faith here. Man, I have so much stuff here. Where do I want to go? Let's go to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, verse 5. You guys doing okay? I love teaching on faith. You could say this, is, this message or this series is about having the faith of God, or you could say it's about pleasing God. You could say it's about overcoming in life. Guys, the enemy is playing for real. Right? My wife just sent me something today that she checked out, and it's true. Do you realize in Virginia, in an elementary school, they are starting a satanic, they're starting to, a, a, an after-school thing on teaching kids Satanism. And they want that to be a model to go across all the public schools. So that scripture about in the final days, they're going to call good evil and evil good, we're here. Where it's not coming, it's here. So it's time for the church. Listen, why, this is what burns in my heart. My office as a pastor, this is not religion. This is not let's be a good person and go to church. And I've got this nice little pastor. No, no, this is about life and death. And I'm telling you, we are a glorious church. It's time for you to start giving yourself a break and seeing yourself as you really are, a world overcomer. The gates of hell will never prevail against the church. But we must know how to operate in the kingdom of God. We must know. We must stand. Satan's going after our kids. And he can't have them. Right? We have to be set on, listen, I'm righteous. No weapon formed against me will prosper. Every tongue that rises up against me in judgment, I'll condemn it. Right? In righteousness, I am literally immovable. I'll be far from oppression because I will not fear. And I'll be far from terror. It won't even come near me. Right? Because I've been righteous, all of my children shall be taught of the Lord. And great will be the peace of my children. They're not going to be abused. They're not going to be abducted. Right? The angel of the Lord encamps around about us to protect us. And we're led by the Spirit of God. We walk in the love of God. We're led by the Spirit of God. We walk in the strength of God. We don't, we're not tough in ourselves. We are strong in Him. Right? And He already won the battle. Luke chapter 17, verse 5. Have you found it yet? It says, And the apostles said unto the Lord, Increase our faith. And the Lord said, If you had faith, as the grain of a mustard seed, you might say unto this sycamine tree, Be thou plucked up by the root, and be thou planted in the sea, and it should obey you. If you had faith as the grain of a mustard seed, you might say. If you had faith, you're going to say. See, to increase your faith, you must use your faith. Isn't that deep? That's Tony Finley deep. Could you imagine my, com my commentary? Right? The Bible for righteous, not for dummies. Right? But it's easy. God makes it easy. It says here in Romans chapter 1, verse 17, it says, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. Remember, we went through this scripture. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. From faith to faith. Paul is writing from the faith that you used to receive salvation to the faith that you will use to, in, to walk out your path. Which, what is your path as a Christian? It's one of increase. 
So in other words, you could say from faith to faith would mean from one level of faith to another level of faith. Listen, you're going you're gonna to face a, a bear. You're going to face a lion. You're going to face Goliaths. You're going to go through fire. Come on. Right? You're going to go through things that are greater than you, but you will never go through anything that can even leave anything on you. It says, when you walk through the fire, I'll be with you, and the fire won't even kindle upon you. Nothing the enemy has can touch who you are in Christ. But you must know who you are. Right? And that, my friends, is job security for me. (laughs) Amen. See, here's the deal. Now, this is another deep subject. Okay, you ready? The more faith that you walk in, the less you will worry. So you could look at your life and you could tell right where you are. Are you worried? Because if you are worried, that's showing a deficit of faith. Because the more faith you walk in, worry will be gone. Because, guys, you'll realize the God of heaven, his eyes are always upon you. He is in every day of your life right now, and he has provided you everything to get you over in life. And the Holy Spirit will take you by the hand and walk you into all of it, right? So if you want to look at great faith, there's two predominant stories in the Bible of two people. They're really unlikely people. Two stories in the ministry of Jesus. There's a story about the centurion where it talks about how his servant was healed because of the faith of the centurion. It also, there's a Syrophoenician woman. Wow, Syrophoenicians. That whole culture was steeped in Baal worship. And I can't, I, I think it was called Asrith worship. I mean, they would, they would sacrifice babies. They would do, I mean, very demonic culture. These two unlikely people, Jesus said, walked in great faith. How much more should we as his children walk in great faith? This is for you. I hope as you, as you really get, I hope through this series, you're just going to be like, oh man, I got this. This is, I made for this stuff, right? So that you start looking at your life and stop looking at it through the lens of what you think is possible. Do not dumb who God is and who his word is down to your experiences, right? Because he is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you ask or think. But it's according, right? It's always according to, to literally to you, right? This is so important that we see this. So let's go to Matthew chapter 8. I'm going to have you flip because this story is in two of the Gospels. It's in Matthew chapter 8 in verses 5 through 13, but it's also found in Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. So we're going to kind of read these together so you get the full look because there's some, there's some big things that you can learn about walking in great faith. So let's look at... First of all, what was a Roman centurion? These were like, these were like bad dudes, man. You, you had to earn this one. You were over 100 to 300 Roman soldiers. When you went to battle, a centurion was dressed in different colors than all his men. And his men didn't go first. He went first. And he was a master with weaponry. I mean, when, when they're charging the enemy, he's out in front of his men. The whole enemy sees and He's like, here I am. I dare any of you to try to take me out. That's who a Roman centurion is. They were also men of great, great influence and great authority. Do you know that a citizen of Rome had a right to appeal to Caesar to be tried, but you know a Roman centurion 
could discipline a Roman citizen without any trial if he wanted to. He had that much authority. Superseded that. You did not mess with these people, right? So, hallelujah. Let's look at this. Matthew chapter 8. Hallelujah. Verse 5. It says, And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him, saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home, sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. So in Matthew's account, you have the centurion coming directly to Jesus and saying, hey, my servant is being, he's sick of the palsy, he's paralyzed, and he's, he's in a lot of pain, he is dying, okay? Now, let's look at Luke chapter 7, verse 1 through 3. Now when he, talking about Jesus, had ended all his sayings in the audience of the people, he entered into Capernaum. And a certain centurion's servant, in other words, everybody in Capernaum would have known who this servant was. Why? Because everybody would have, knew, would have known who this centurion was. Everybody in Capernaum knew who he was, and we're going to find out why. Because he had a great love and respect for the Jewish people, for their, for, for their God. He had a great respect for their God. Built them a synagogue. Isn't that, I mean, that's pretty intense. You are overseeing a conquered people, and you are a Roman centurion, and you build them a church because of your respect for their God. Interesting individual, right? It says here, who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. Verse 3, and when he heard of Jesus, what did he hear of Jesus? We won't take the time to go into all the scriptures, but before Jesus showed up, it says that people from Tyre and Sidon, they would come, great multitudes were coming to him to hear and to be healed. Virtue would go out of him and heal all the people. So it's obvious what he heard was that this guy, Jesus of Nazareth, healed people. Otherwise, why would he go to somebody for his servant to be healed? Does that make sense? I mean, isn't that simple? Do you know how many like theologians that have like years and years and years of college and study and seminaries don't get that? It's weird. When they heard of Jesus, look at this, it says, he, the Roman centurion, sent unto him, Jesus, the elders of the Jews, beseeching Jesus that he would come and heal his servant. So did you get that? Luke chapter 7 in verse 3 says that the centurion didn't go to Jesus. He sent the elders of the Jews to Jesus for Jesus to come and heal his servant. Matthew chapter 8 verse 5 says that the centurion came. Oh my goodness, we have discovered a contradiction in the no. Bible. No right? This story is about great faith and the connection that great faith has to the understanding of authority. Okay? Both accounts are correct. If you, if you understand this, man, back, I was, I was probably, oh, I was probably 20 years old, maybe. And I remember uh, this guy that I heard teach, his last name was Cohen. He was a rabbi that got born again and spirit filled. He was of the tribe, were the high priestly, the tribe of Levi. And he explained that in the culture in the culture, when people would send people to go talk, like if somebody, if Jeanette sent me in her name to talk to Pastor Elisa, that I would come to Pastor Elisa and I would talk in first person as if I was Jeanette. That's the way the culture was. And that's why it's written this way. 
But if you don't understand the culture, you're going to miss the thing about great faith and its connection to the understanding of authority. You must understand authority to walk in great faith. Okay? Matthew chapters 8 and 9 list a series of miracles that show the authority of Jesus. It's real interesting. But you have to have that aerial view to really get this story. The God of heaven does everything by delegated authority. Even in the Godhead, they work like that. Do you know Jesus Christ is just as much God as the Father is? And the Holy Spirit is just as much God as the Father and as Jesus is. But yet they operate by delegated authority. On the earth, Jesus said, listen, I only say what my Father says. I only, I only do what I see him do. Jesus also said, hey guys, I'm, I'm about to go back to heaven where I'm going, you can't come with me, but I'm going to send you another comforter, an allos comforter, a comforter that's exactly like me. And what does it say about him? He will never speak about himself or of himself. But what he hears from me, Jesus said, that's what he's going to speak to you. If you, look, if you look at the Trinity, God the Father comes up with the plan. Jesus carries out the plan. He's the creator of all things. The Holy Spirit reveals the plan everywhere. God does everything by delegated authority. Therefore, submission to, that's a, that's a hard word, and everybody's flesh went, ouch, right? And if your flesh goes, and if you're sitting there going, oh, no, 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 I have no problem with submission, congratulations, we know you don't understand what submission is, <laughs> right? Right? Tomorrow, I probably will ask Pastor Dave to go to lunch. Hey, you want to go to lunch? I'm probably going to ask Pastor Teresa if she wants anything from Starbucks, that's not submission to authority. If he's hungry, he's like, yeah, let's do it. That's agreement. Submission is where you're asked to do something and you don't really want to do it, but you do it anyway. God does everything by delegated authority, right? Submission to authority is literally the road to great faith. It's the road to great faith it is the road to promotion in the body of Christ. The servant we see in this story was very dear to the centurion. The servant was his basically his slave. However, this man valued people. So he treated his servant very well. He was loved of his, of, by the centurion. The servant was very sick. He was paralyzed, he was bedridden, he was suffering, he was in terrible pain, and he was at the point of death, okay? I love that about this story because no matter how far a sickness or a disease has progressed, God is more than able to raise up and restore. It doesn't matter what the situation is. Even if somebody, I mean, even if you have killed something in your life, God is the God who calls those things which be not as though they were, right? And he's the God that quickens. He makes things alive. So this is, we're trying to give you a picture of this story. So now Luke chapter 7, verse 4 and 5. And when they came to Jesus, when they, the elders of the Jews, came to Jesus they besought him instantly saying that, hey, this centurion who's asking you for help, he is worthy uh, for whom you should do this for him. For he loves our nation and he built us a synagogue. Right? The centurion was a man who honored God's house. He was a man of great faith. Show me a person of great faith who's a Christian that doesn't honor God's house. There isn't one. There's a lot of people that could talk a good game. There's a lot of people that could preach a good game. But if they don't love, and man, I'm telling you, if they don't have a love for the local church, I'm out. I'm out, right? 
because this is a big story. There's only two examples in Jesus' ministry here of great faith. Interesting. He honored God's house and he honored spiritual matters. Matthew chapter 6, verse 21 says this. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. In other words, you can tell how much an individual, you can tell a lot about an individual by seeing how he spends his money. Let me say this correctly. You can tell what you value by looking at your checkbook or looking at what you spend your money on. Because where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. That's a biblical truth. Oh, pastor, you just want my money. Get over yourself. That's ridiculous, right? When you are faithful and obedient, it gives God a legal right to move on your behalf, on behalf of you, on behalf of your family, when you're faithful and obedient. And now we will get a picture of why a lot is not happening in the church. And now we understand why there's a lot of really good things happening in this place and in the lives of people. And this is for everybody. There's a principle of faithfulness and obedience. When you are faithful and obedient, wow, it just opens a door. It positions you to be able to receive from God. God desires to do good to all. The Bible says in Psalm 145, the Lord is gracious. That means he's disposed to show favors. He's full of compassion. He's slow to anger, and he's of great mercy. Verse 9 says of Psalm 145, the Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all of his works. See, God desires to do good to all, but he's hindered by a lack of faithfulness and a lack of obedience. This is why here, I'm believing God that 80% of our church people will do something for our church. I want it more for them than our church. Listen, God will fill these slots that we need, but everybody should do something. Now, I manage this. My goal is that, I mean, if you're going, you know what, okay, I'll, I'll work in the nursery, but I don't want to do it any more than maybe once every two months, three months. Great. Let's get you started right away. That's why we don't have this thing, hey, you know, we want to look at your life for 19 years and then we'll let you usher. No, no, jump in. Start being, but, but if you just come and you just sit and do nothing, I'm, I'm praying for you. Because faithfulness and obedience is the road to great faith, right? This is not, now what we're not talking about is God owing you because of your works. You can work every service. Well, you couldn't do that here because in meetings we talk about that. Hell, I don't want you, I'm always concerned. Hey, we don't want some, because there's, there's people that just want to do, you know, they just love God and they just want to do everything. And we don't want that because if they're not in here receiving, right, then, then they'll disconnect from the pulpit and then, they, then, then we lose them. Right, But we're not talking about you getting real busy so that God owes you something. Right, God doesn't owe any of us anything. God gave everything to us because he loves us. And everything he gave to us was not because of what we did, it's because of what Jesus did. Amen? The centurion said about himself something that's interesting. He said that he was not worthy. We're going to see that as the story goes. And you see in this a statement of humility. He was saying, in myself, I am not worthy. Now, this was a man of great authority, great influence. Do you know he could have came to Jesus and said, listen, I'm a centurion. Drop everything you're doing right now and come and heal my servant, or I'll kill you. He could have done that. He had the authority to do that. 
He could have just pulled out his sword and cut Jesus' head off, and there would have been no repercussion to him. He could, have, he could walk down the street and kill whoever he wants. He's a centurion. Wow. He could walk right up to a Roman citizen, and that Roman citizen could go, you can't touch me, I'm a citizen of Rome. And he could take his sword and just bam, right in the face, knock him out, beat him up, whatever, no repercussion. But what does he do? He's coming to Jesus in humility because he honors God. You see, honor, a big road to great faith. Can we talk about these things? Here's a phrase that you want to get out of your vocabulary if you want to walk by faith. I deserve. I deserve this. No, 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 no. Based on you? No. But the Bible says you are worthy, right? But what does it say about that? Jesus made you worthy. It was his behavior that made us worthy, not us. Right? Got to get that right. See, there's ditches on both sides of this road. This was a strong realization that I'm asking for this, but I am not saying that I deserve it. The centurion's going, I'm asking, but I'm not saying I deserve this. I'm not coming to you saying, hey, I'm a centurion. You need to do this for me because of who I am. Nope, he was not doing that at all. That, that is nowhere close to great faith. You see that? So important that we get this. This is humility. I'm not saying do this for me because I deserve it. This is seeing the reality of the situation. If you want the pure definition of humility, it is this. Humility is believing the truth. Pride, the ultimate definition of pride, is believing a lie. Oh, pastor, no, I can't be on the worship team because, you know, I just, I just don't want to be seen by people. That's pride. That's pride. Oh, don't talk to me about prosperity because I don't need a lot. I just need enough for me. Okay, you prideful person. Because the whole Bible says you're not here for you. You're here for others. Right? And everybody said, I love my pastor. I love my right? pastor. <laughs> See, God has made us worthy in Christ. We are not worthy because of what we've done. We're worthy because of what he's done. And because of what he's done, he's given it to us. And that's the road to great faith when you see things like that. I don't go to God and call for my healing or call for him or require something from him because I deserve it. No, I do that in Christ on the basis of what he's done for me. I am worthy because of him. You got to get that right. So the centurion had the authority, the influence, the power to have Jesus arrested, killed, whatever, right? Yet he showed Jesus incredible respect and honor. Respect and honor are tied to great faith. See, you cannot separate great faith from honor. You can't separate it. You'll never see great faith if you don't see honor. Why am I saying that? It's because we hear faith principles all the time. But our faith is not ever to be in a faith principle. It's not ever to be in faith itself. Our faith is to be in the person of God. My faith is in Jesus. It's not that I know what I believe. I know in whom I believe right? This is, this is honor. If you have faith in the person of God, then you will show respect to him and you will honor him. And that's why we don't, we're, we're, we're not yet seeing some of the things we're going to see in the near future. This is happening real quick. I mean, I've, I'm, I'm hearing it all around the world for, from some friends, but I'm also seeing it in our church. I'm hearing about it in some other churches that 
that there's an honor level growing, a faithfulness level growing, a hunger level growing for him. And that's going to usher in great faith, which is going to usher in signs, wonders, and miracles as we have never seen in the history of the church before. What are we talking about? It's about making a big deal out of who God is. He is my everything. You know, I was, I was talking to somebody today and uh, somebody in our church, you know, and I was just talking to him. I'm like, you know, anything good that happens tonight is not going to be me. It's going to be because of him. And that's the way we are made. It's a great ride, right? So let's, you guys ready for Matthew chapter eight? Let's jump back to Matthew verse seven. And Jesus said unto him, isn't that interesting? Matthew's account is between the centurion and him. Luke's account, Jesus actually was saying it to the elders of the Jews, but he was saying it as if he was talking to the centurion. He said, I will come and heal him. Now this is interesting because if you look into the Greek language, literally it would read like this. Having come from heaven, I will heal him. The centurion answered, or we know now from the story, right? The Jewish elders answered. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. In other words, great faith accepts God's word as the final authority. If God said it, that's all I need. I don't need Jesus to come back and heal me. If he said I, he sent his word and healed me. If he said he'd meet all of my needs. If he said all things are possible to him who believes. Right? If he said faith comes when I hear the word of God. Then that's good enough for me. Right? The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but speak the word only. My servant shall be healed, for I am a man under authority. Now remember, remember I said this, this is a story about great faith and its connection to the understanding of authority. Until you understand the authority that you have been given in Christ, you won't be able to walk in great faith. You must understand delegated authority. Listen, the authority that we have, when you speak the name of Jesus, the name that is greater, the Bible says, God says, that everything has to bow to the name of Jesus. When you realize, when you speak the name of Jesus, the very presence and power of God comes on the scene to what? To perform the word that he said he's already given you. You must understand that authority. This centurion understood authority because of his military background. We have a lot of military guys in our, in our, in our church. Listen, you, you know, you, you are in the military. You don't, when your commanding officer says jump, you don't say, I don't think I want to today. Right? Doc Barclay, when he was here, you know, he was a Marsoc Marine. I mean, he was a, he was a member of, he was a team leader of a six- Six-person kill team, 160-some missions direct from Washington, D.C. His team, he said, we were death. And he got born again in the jungles of Vietnam. Listen, his guys would never just say, well, come on, let's, I'm not so sure I really want to do this today. If you ever talk to a combat veteran, that doesn't fly because you'll die. And you might, you might cause some of your peop the people that you're with to die. This is, this is interesting. I'm a man under authority. I have soldiers under me. I say to this man, go. What does he say? And he goes. Man, could you imagine that centurion? He probably has scars. I mean, this guy is like Rambo, if you ever remember who that is, right? The real Rambo, right? I mean, you're not going to mess with him. I say to this one, goes and he goes. To another, come and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. Why am I saying this? Because the word of God will tell us. God will say, do this, and we'll go, eh, 
I don't, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm really tired. I'm just tired. I don't think I'm going to come to church today. Right? I, I, you know, Wednesday night, it's, it's just too hard because it goes late. Talk to some people in our church that come Wednesday night. Some of, some of them get up three in the morning to go to work. I mean, tired. Talk to Andre. If you've ever met Andre and got to know him a little bit, he only works two full-time jobs. You know, sleep's optional, but he's going to have his family in church. Right? It, he understands authority. Many think that because they've been made free in Christ, they don't have to listen to anyone. And this makes their faith weak. I'm, I'm your pastor. And I'm, and I'm giving you the word tonight to help you. And I think what's really cool is, is you're receiving it. But you guys are the terminators of the body of Christ on a Wednesday night, right? If you See, here's the thing about authority. If you're this way with people, then you're this way with God. Because everything is reflective. I mean, you are a commander in the Navy. Could you imagine telling somebody underneath you to do something and they're like, well, you would not want to do this to this lady, right? She would be all over you. Oh my goodness. I would not want to deal with that. She's great. She operates in the love of God. But here's a little thing. If you're at VBS this year, do not shoot her with a squirt gun. <laughs> I did that one time. Man, all I, I mean, I'm trying to run and she's hitting me in the face. No mercy. I had to say that, Pastor Lisa. If you're this, see, everything's reflective. What do I mean by that? The way you love God will be reflected in how you love people. Amen. Not just in the people that are good to you, the people that are not good to you. That's right. Actually, that's when you're going to find out how much you love God. Amen. When somebody stings you and you're like, let me pray for you. It, what do you why are you doing that? Because you love God. Here's a big one. That boss at work or that person that's been over you that just kind of gets under your skin, the way you submit to them is a reflection on how you're submitted to God. Oh, that's hard, Pastor. Yeah, but it's true. Real faith is evidenced in discipline and diligence. And here's another thing about real, a great faith. Faith prepares. Ephesians says, having done all to stand, stand. You prepare. Big faith prepares big. See, Noah was in faith. He prepared. Great example of that. And honor is always tied to great faith. This is why the enemy has come so after honor. He's tried to strip honor from our society. Right? We don't honor our authorities. Right? We, we, we see a lack of honor for our police officers. We see a lack of honor for people. Right? And that's why we as the people of God, we are people of honor. We honor those, right? God's things are important. And this is always a matter of your heart. So let's go on with this. Luke chapter 7, verse 6. Almost done. Hang in there with me. Luke chapter 7, verse 6. Then Jesus went with them, and when he was now not far from the house, from the centurion's house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not yourself. In other words, these elders of the Jews went to him, beseeching him for help. Jesus is coming, and when the centurion sees that Jesus is actually coming to his house, he sends other friends out of his house to say, whoa, 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 you don't... I'm not even worthy for you to come into my house. Isn't that interesting? See how you see, you look at both of these stories, you get the full picture. Trouble not yourself, for I'm not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come to you. That's why the centurion didn't come to him. He's like, I'm not even worthy to go to this guy. I'm going to send the elders of the Jews. Right? But say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. See, do you see the humility and the reverence that God, 
for God that this centurion had. The centurion, he had earthly authority. However, he chose to humble himself and submit himself to Jesus. No one's making him do this. You must humble yourself. In the Bible, God will never humble you. It always says you must humble yourself, right? Reverence is an important attitude to have when approaching God on spiritual matters. Proper reverence is necessary before his blessings can be received. He's already given it to you, but you won't be able to pick it up and receive it without reverencing him. Becoming too familiar with God is what causes you to lose reverence for him. God can never become common as Jesus was common to the people in his hometown. The people's unbelief. He was unable to do anything because of their unbelief. Their unbelief stemmed for a lack of honor for Jesus and the anointing that was upon his life. Wow. A lack of honor towards that which God honors will always result in missed blessings. Believers would receive so much more from the Lord if they had a reverent attitude and a reverent behavior towards spiritual things. Right? The centurion also knew the power of words. He said to this one, go, and he goes. He said to this one, come, and he comes. He said to this one, do this, and he does this. Being a military leader, he was trained in the power of words. Faith for healing is released in the power of words. Okay, Luke chapter 7, verse 8. We got to go quick. You're, you're slowing me down a little bit. No, I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. It's all my fault. It says here, For I also am a man, under, a man set under authority, having under me soldiers, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and another, come, and he comes. To my servant, do this, and he does this. Wow. See, the centurion's servant was submitted to him, and this gave the centurion the place to believe for his, for his servant. The centurion's faith worked for his servant because the servant was under his authority. If you don't joyfully submit to authority, you won't ever have great faith. Submission is a willingness to be led. If you cannot submit to your employer, you'll never be a person of great faith. If you, a man who doesn't submit to Jesus will never have great faith. Husbands who don't love their wives as Christ loves the church will never have great faith. Children who aren't taught, this is a big one, children who are not taught to reverence and honor and respect their parents will never grow up to have great faith. Very important. The message of the healing of the centurion's servant is a lesson on authority. If you refuse to submit to the authority of those you can see, you'll never submit to the authority of God who you can't see. So understanding rank, authority, and submission is the key to great faith. If you believe someone just owes it to you, then you've made it impossible for them to be gracious to you. See, if I go to Phineas and, and literally I make her feel like she owes me something and then she does it. I, I've, I've put her in a position she can never be gracious because she owes it to me. So if she does it, she's just paying me for what she owes. That's why we honor people. Do you see that? That's why we honor God. So Matthew chapter 8, we're almost done, verse 10. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. Luke chapter 7 in verse 9 says it this way. When Jesus heard these things... He marveled at him and turned him about and said unto the people that followed him, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith. In the Greek, it literally means the greatest faith. No, not in Israel. Do you realize he, Jesus said that with his disciples right standing around him? 
So think about it. Why? So wait a minute. This is talking like Jesus is talking to the centurion. But you got to understand this. The elders come to him. Jesus says, yeah, I'll come. He, he's going towards the centurion house. The centurion sends friends out. These are the friends that are saying this to him. So he sent the friends out and said, hey, listen, you tell him. I, he doesn't need to trouble himself coming here. I'm not even worthy for him to come into my house. So Jesus turned all the friends around and said, look, this is what this centurion said. I've never seen this great of faith in, in all of Israel. Could you imagine Peter, James, and John are like going, right? Great faith because he needed to feel or see nothing. All he, need is what, all he needed was the word of Jesus. It is not about the faith in the principles. It's about the faith in the person of Jesus Christ. So let me finish the last couple of verses here. Matthew chapter 8, verse 11 and 12. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and west, shall sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said unto the centurion, go your way as you have believed, so be it done unto thee. And it says, and his servant was healed the selfsame hour. In other words, Jesus gave him the command that he asked for. He said, you just speak the word, my servant will be healed. And he said, you go tell. You, you go tell hey, his servant's going to be well. And right when he said that, his servant amended. Wow. Always realize this. If you trust the person, you'll obey them. If you trust God, you'll obey him. So that's why it's important. How do you walk in great faith? It's all about relationship. So let me finish this up. Luke chapter 7, verse 10. And they that were sent returning to the house found the servant whole that had been sick. This is, there's some principles here of great faith. And we've talked about the heart of faith. We'll talk about it more next week, amen?